So, what if God came to you and said, I'd like you to do something for me. And it was such a big task that you didn't have any idea how you could do it by yourself. So what if he gave you a log like this and told you to build an ark and you had never heard of rain, you had never seen it, what would you do? Would you, would you step out in obedience or would you doubt it? I want to show you something. The man Noah had a challenge ahead of him, but he believed in God and he stepped out in obedience and faith. So Noah's challenge was to build an ark because God was going to wipe out the rest of mankind except for Noah because he was righteous. And Noah stepped out in obedience and he took boards and logs and cut them. And everybody thought he was crazy. How could you do that? What are you doing? They had no idea what he was doing. And as time progressed and he worked day after day, did he doubt himself? I bet he did. But he stepped out every day in obedience. Day after day after day after day today. And he built an ark. Raindrops are falling on my head. And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed, nothing seems to fit. Those raindrops are falling on my head. They keep falling. So I just did some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling But there's one thing Don't you love that song? Right? I had to do that for Pastor Ed just because I had to have a song, you know, and that one fit. So my name is Steve Hammes, for those of you who don't know me. And today we are in the second message of our summer series called Jesus Revealed. And we are going through the book of Genesis. And we're taking five heroes of that book and we're going to be talking about their lives and what they did and how they lived and how they pointed us to Jesus. And last week, Pastor Ed started with Adam, and he gave a great message if you missed it with some awesome takeaways, so I encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you haven't heard it. But today, we're going to be talking about Noah, Noah and the ark. And we're hoping that as we do this series, one thing that you'll get out of it is, is to realize how important the, New, the Old Testament is, and going back and looking at some of these people and how they lived and what they did and why reading it is important. But one thing about the Old Testament to know is that most of it is descriptive history, which means that it describes what happened in the past in order to teach us how to live in the present. And it's important that we take lessons from these people and apply it to our lives. So we recently took a trip, a trip down to Williamstown, Kentucky, where that ark is. So a group called Answers in Genesis built that ark, and they took it, and they did it to spec of how Noah was told to do it with as much information as they had it's exactly how long it should be, and that thing is ginormous. And I was going to send, show you pictures of the inside, but I didn't want to ruin it for you because there's all kinds of people in there and they're walking around and having drinks, and I figured that we'll just show you the outside. It's huge. It's absolutely huge, which is perfect for me because I was preaching on this today. But as I started to look at the life of Noah and study this, there were so many ways we could go at this today, and I figured you don't want to be sitting here till 2. So I had to narrow it down and that there's four things I want you to take away today. 
The first is that how serious that God considers sin. The second is taking some lessons from Noah's life. The third is taking lessons from the ark. And lastly, how to connect them and put them all together and apply it as you walk out here. So let's dive right in. And let's talk about Noah. What do we know about Noah? We know in Genesis 5, it says that Noah was the first, the tenth person in the genealogy. So you got Adam, and then we go down ten lines, and we got Noah. He's the tenth person in the genealogy of the human race. His dad's name is Lamech. And Lamech, when he described his son Noah, he said this, that his name is related to comfort and rest. And in 2 Peter, he's described as a preacher of righteousness. And in Hebrews 11, it says he was moted by faith and fear. That's it. That's all we know about the guy. But if you describe my life in those four sentences, I'd be okay with it. That's pretty cool. So it's not a lot of detail. But Genesis 5 ends in saying that after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So let's get the elephant out in the room. Did he really live 500 years old? I'm just going to tell you where I settled. Yes! I believe that he did. If Jesus Christ can go on a cross and be crucified and rise again and pay the penalty for all our sins, I think the guy can live to 500 years old. So I went with that. That's where I'm, I'm standing on it. So we go into chapter 6. If you ever read chapters in the Bible that you read and you just go, what? This is one of them. As you started, this is just bizarre. And, and we could get stuck in the weeds today on this. And I read a bunch of commentaries on it, and I encourage you to do that because it's absolutely fascinating to, to read about it. It talks about the sons of God coming down and marrying women. And it talks about Nephilim on the earth, and you're just going, this is just weird. But I encourage you, I'm not going to get bogged down into it today. The Nephilim are just giant people. But there's a couple sentences in chapter 6, and I'm going to read a lot of scripture, and then we're going to dissect it because we want to get the gist of this whole story, all right? So chapter 6 starts into just describing the condition of mankind and just how bad it was on the face of the earth. And God says this. He says, My spirit shall not strive and remain with man forever because he is indeed flesh, sinful, corrupt, and given over to sensual appetites. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. That 120 years is important. Some scholars believe that the 120 years meant that after Jesus spoke, or after God spoke this, people wouldn't live longer than 120 years. Other scholars believe it was 120 years from the time that he said this until the time that he judged mankind. I went with that um, for a couple of reasons, and as you start to investigate on your own, you'll have to come to your own conclusion because we don't really know. But I went with it only because there's not many angels who are here in human body form marrying people, and it was more likely that they were just people. So... We keep going, and it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we continue into verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. Sound familiar? 
So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark out of cypress wood. And he goes on to give the specks of the ark that you just saw. And then he says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under heaven. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You were to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, and he goes on to describe it. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive and also bring food for you and the animals. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So a couple observations about this guy, Noah. He walked faithfully with God, which means that he had a relationship with him. How many of you guys take walks? So when I first started taking walk, it made no, walks, it made no sense to me. We're just going to go out and come right back. What, what purpose was there in it? But as I started to walk with my wife, it became a very rich time. It was times that we've talked about a lot of things and walking became something that an integral part of our relationship. You walk with people that you have a relationship with. Try taking a walk with somebody you don't know, right? And see how it goes. Just walk up to them. We walk with people have a, a relationship with. And that's how Noah had an intimate relationship with Jesus, or I'm sorry, with God. And that's how he found favor in God's eyes because they knew each other well. Noah had no idea what a flood was. It had never rained, ever. The only ground water that they had came up out of the ground, so he had no concept of what a flood was or how it was going to work. But he didn't ask any questions it says he just obeyed wouldn't you be going wait a minute wait a minute do what build an ark that big do you have any i would have three bazillion questions but he didn't no arguments no questions and i love that god told him the animals will come to you he didn't have to go out and round them up they came to him so there's no slide on this but i'm going to read it The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds of life throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and he had no concept of what rain was, (laughs) and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. All right, so let's be real. If you just told me to bring two of every kind, that would stress me out. But now he goes and he says, I want you also to bring seven of every kind of clean animal. I never caught that before. I've read this story three bazillion times. And I've seen the cartoons and the comic books. And I never caught that there was two. And then there was seven of every kind of clean animal. I would have said, why? But it's after the flood that Noah used those clean animals to sacrifice to God. It says, after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. Every living kind of animal came to him and entered the ark, and the Lord shut them in. I love that concept that God closed the door of the ark. The Lord shut them in. We know that it rained for 40 days, and every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. So the Disney version, at this point, if we were watching Disney, 
would be showing the ark floating. They'd be up on the deck with the drink in their hand, and they'd be walking back and forth, surveying, and then going down below for a nice dinner and a nap. The reality version is it had to have been horrific. It had to have been horrific. If you think about it, there had to have been dead bodies floating everywhere, dead animals floating everywhere. As the waters came and the rain came and the people realized what was happening, there had to have been screaming. There had to have been people banging on the bottom of the ark and it had to have been horrific and frightening and terrifying for Noah and his family. We know that it rained for the 40 days. The water flooded the earth for 150 days and then it had to recede. And then Noah sent out a raven and a couple of doves to find out when land was dry. And scholars estimate that they were on that ark for 370 days. It's a crazy story. Then God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky and I will never flood the earth like that again. And every time you see a rainbow, you can remember I have a covenant with you. So every time you and I see a rainbow, that's God's covenant that he's never going to flood the earth like he did before. But it's a crazy story, right? God got so upset that he actually pressed the reset button on life. How does it get to that where God would press reset on humankind? The truth is that it's a look into God's heart and how seriously he considers sin, that he would go to that extent to press reset button. So if there's one man out of all of them that got God's attention and God saved, it's Noah. We probably ought to pay attention to this guy. <laughs> he probably has something for us. So I want to take a look at Noah for a little bit and just talk about him and what we can pull out of Noah. So he had a relationship with God that was so close that God could simply tell him to do something as monumental as that And he just did it. So the question for you is, could God ask you to do something and you just do it without asking questions, without arguing with him? Maybe it's something really simple. Maybe God's already spoken to you and he's asked you, hey, look, I want you to teach a Sunday school class. Or I want you to start tithing with your money. Or I want you to reach out to that person that's just a new Christian and and work with them. Something so simple. Maybe coming back to church, apologizing to somebody. See, the Noah trusted God so much to the point that he didn't have to have have any answers ahead of time. Noah had perseverance. At what point would you guys stop swinging the hammer and go, why am I doing this? Noah didn't stop swinging the hammer until he was done. And he didn't have to see it in advance. He just swung the hammer every day. And perseverance. And I'm sure during the 120 years, a lot of people came along and made fun of him. A lot of people asked him, what are you doing? And he had lots of opportunity. It says he was a preacher of righteousness. Noah knew that judgment for sin was coming and it was going to be severe, but he took it seriously. It was life and death, so he moved into action. You see, his faith formed him, but his fear motivated him. He built the ark with no rudder, no steering wheel, no propeller, no sail, no anchor. And if I look at Noah's life, when he entered that ark, he was completely 100% entering into God's control over his life and submitting to God. If we look at our lives today, that's what God asks us to do. What Noah built in himself by being a faithful man and walking righteously allowed God to build something through him. So let me ask you something. In your life, all that you've done in your career all that you've done with your friends, all that you've done going to church, your upbringing, all the things that you've overcome in life and struggled with, would you allow God to take what he's built in you and build something through you? Think about that for a second. 
could God ask you to go out and use what you learned in your career to help somebody else? If you've overcome addiction, could you be letting God build something through you by helping somebody else with addiction? If you learned how to pray and learn how to communicate with God, could you pray with other people and let them see your prayers and faith in action? Are you in a small group? Everything that God's built into you can be shared with your small group and people can be enriched by it. Would you allow God to build something through you without asking questions? So let's take a lesson from the flood and God's judgment on sin. Sin is serious business. And God takes sin seriously. He sent a flood on the earth to confront sin. And sometimes God will send chaos into your life to confront your sin. You see, we don't talk a lot about sin in life anymore. We do about our daily lives. We come to church on Sunday and we don't really talk a whole lot about sin. But God is serious about sin. See, the thing about you and I as Christians, a lot of times we suffer from the window in the mirror syndrome. We luck out the window when we look at everybody else sinning and, and we point it out. But we never turn around and look in the mirror and really look at our own sins and what we do. It's kind of like the frog in the pot. None of us purposely go out every day to sin, do we? We don't like jump in and go, oh, yeah, today's Sunday. Oh, this is the sin I'm doing today. We, we glide into sin. And we get there, and a lot of times we're there, and we kind of know it's sin. We just put a sheet over it, and we, we gloss over it, and we don't really ever address it. You know, Ed mentioned last week that we got to come out of the bushes, and I really love that, that analogy of where we sin. We come out, and we just deal with it with God, and we're honest about it. But one of Satan's strategies is keeping us so busy that we'll never take that time with God. You know, as I was preparing this and sitting and talking with God, out of left field, left field, God told me, I want you to stop saying that people are stupid. Because it's one of, my, one of my things I'm always saying, people are stupid. And, and they do stupid things, and it's just my thing. People are stupid. And God told me, I want you to stop saying that. And I looked, it wasn't like he just like, Steve, he just said, stop saying it. And I, and I just stopped me in my tracks, and he said, look, when you say that, you can't see people the way that I want you to see them and I know you think it's funny you say people are stupid it's become your thing but stop it because I want you to start looking at people through my lens and my the way that I see them to love them you see sometimes our sins are big and they're out there they're obvious and we can just stop them but sometimes they're small sometimes they got to be filtered through a piece of cheesecloth that was one of the things that not necessarily a sin but had I not been spending time with God how would have he said that to me how could he communicate where I was in a position to listen so the lesson is that we spend time with God, right? Lessons from the ark and God's judgment on sin. You see, the ark was the way that God showed grace to Noah the first time that he judged sin. Noah went into the ark and God showed grace. But the Bible tells us that there was only one door in that ark. And today there's only one door to you and I being saved from sin. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. For those of us that believe in Jesus, he's our one entrance into God's grace and God's forgiveness. When Noah entering that ark and being saved just pointed us to today's ark, which is Jesus Christ. And the way that Noah lived among his people, you know they were making fun of him. You know his kids probably doubted him. You know everybody probably doubted him. What are you doing for 120 years? You heard that every time he swung the hammer. 
But the thing that we learn from this is every day you and I are called to go out and swing that hammer. Everything that we do and say, the way that we act around people, should be pointing people to Jesus. You know, I'm sure Noah had plenty of opportunities to do that. We can't be satisfied just knowing that we have Jesus in our back pocket. Jesus says, I have a chore for you. I have, I have a job for you to go out and point people to Jesus. Our job is to swing that hammer every day. So what does it look like in your life? I want to give you a little visual. I know we're short on time, but um, I want Cassie Murphy they, I, and Joey. Joey, if you could come up. I asked these guys to participate. They have no idea why. <laughs> Cassie, I want you to go outside, outside the side door. And Jonathan, could you just watch her? And then when I tell you, come on up, Joey. I'm, we're going to have her come back in. So I'll hold the mic. This is on? All right. I don't know how. I think there. I'm a bright one. So, Joey, I want you to tell me what this is. $100 bill. I want you to give it to Cassie. All right, so I'm going to put it in this, this book on page 505. Okay. And Joey, all you have to do is tell Cassie where this is. Do you think you can do that? All right. So I'm going to come back here. I'm going to put it in the cabinet above the blue container. It's in the back by the blue container. There's like five drawers. It's in the second one. So I'm going to give you some time. You can have Cassie come in, okay? I'm going to give you some time to tell Cassie what that is. Are you excited to give it to her? Yeah. Great. Why? Uh, it's a great gift. Great. Cassie, come on up. So Joey has something that he wants to give you, Cassie. Why don't you tell her what it is? I uh, finally have that $100 that I borrowed off you. I'm paying you back. She has a $100 bill. It's yours. Does that make you excited? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're a starving college student to be, right? So you could use $100, right? All right. Good go. Uh, yeah. So the deal is Joey's going to tell you how to get it. You stay here. After Joey tells you how to get it, you can go get it, and it's yours. Okay? All right. So, Joey, I'm going to give you some time to tell her. So, uh, It's over in the Connect Center, um, above the blue basket. Time's up. Time's up. No, he didn't tell you how to really go get it, so he didn't finish. Now... There were directions for you to go get it, but he didn't have time to do it. Are you bummed? Well, yeah. Don't offer me $100 and don't give it to me. So aren't you a little upset that he didn't talk faster to get it out before time was up? Joey, why didn't you talk faster? I didn't know there was a time limit. I told you I was going to give you time, but you didn't know how much time. All right. Are you kind of bummed? Are you kind of bummed that you didn't give Cassie the money? Yeah, I failed. Okay. You failed. All right, thank you, guys. <laughs> no, you don't get it. <laughs> All right, so every analogy will fall apart at some point, but here's, here's what I want you to take away from this. Joey, I told him I was going to give him time. He had no idea how much time. But you guys, we have something so much greater to give other people. 
But the clock is ticking. Jesus is going to come back. And Jesus is going to judge sin once and for all. I'll be honest. I don't want to be the person that's standing in heaven and other people looking at my life and saying, I had no idea you were a Christian. What you did, what you said, didn't point me to Jesus. And I don't want to be on the other side of heaven looking at him and they said, why didn't you tell me before the clock ran out? You see, Noah had that. He lived faithfully. He lived righteously. He walked with God. And he took sin seriously. If you and I are going to point people to sin, I'll tell you something. It's really difficult to walk faithfully and righteously with God when we're willingly allowing sin to remain in our life. A lesson from Noah, we got, we got to take sin seriously, you guys. If we don't, what's your Christian life all about? Why are you here? Why are you professing to be a Christian? What's it all about? If everything we say and we do at the core of it should be pointing people to Jesus, they shouldn't be looking at us. They shouldn't, you know, be concentrating on us. We should be pointing them to Jesus, but everything that we do and say should reflect that. We're either pointing people towards Jesus or away from Jesus, and I don't want to stand there in heaven one day and go, wow, the clock is running and I just missed it. And I hope that you don't either. I hope that we can take a look at this in the way that God looks at sin and takes it so seriously that we don't gloss over it and allow it to remain in our lives. It's one of the biggest mistakes we'll make. It's one of the ways that the enemy can can win with us is to keep us to have a really light view of sin. The thing is, some big ones, some small ones, there's no difference. We don't get a free pass from God. A sin is a sin. So as I look at Noah's life and, and he walked faithfully, And he got on and he swung that hammer every day. So as you go out today and you look at your life, will you swing that hammer? Everything that God wants from you to be able to equip you to go out and tell people about Jesus, he's already given you. You have that. You possess that. When you said, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, he deposited the Holy Spirit in you. And when you go out today, maybe you're at the grocery store. And you just do an encouraging word or you know somebody at work, you send them a text, hey, look, I'm praying for you. Whatever it is, we want to point people to Jesus. Everything that we do, say, how we act, how we believe. And maybe today's the day that you just got to draw a line in the sand and, you know, I know God's been working on me about this sin that I'm doing and I'm just going to root it out of my life. It may not happen all in one day. You just got to swing that hammer every day to root it out of your life. But you got to get serious about it. Every day we need to go out and swing that hammer not knowing when's the last day. The last day could be tomorrow. Maybe you need to be reconciling with somebody. Maybe you need to be establishing a relationship. Whatever it is, maybe you have something that you do in the quiet of your home that you know you shouldn't be doing when you're all by yourself. Swing that hammer. Jesus says, I'll forgive you. But you got to repent. you got to turn and go the other way. Swing that hammer. So let's pray. Father God, as we look at the life of Noah, as we look at how he lived faithfully and he walked with you, he spent time with you, God, and you were willing, you were willing to save him because of that. When the rest of the world was doing what they wanted, when the rest of the world was in sin and violence, and, and God, you looked at it and said, I have one righteous man. 
And Lord, as we leave here today, we, we just want to have the heart that you have for sin. We don't want to allow it in our lives. Lord, we want to root it out. We want to have the help of the Holy Spirit to swing the hammer every day to root it out. And then we want to get out and walk with you and want to point others to you because we know you're coming back, Lord. We want to see as many people as possible in heaven with us. So God, would you equip us today to to recognize sin? As we spend some quiet time with you, would you just show it to us? If we've glossed over so much that we don't even recognize it anymore, would you just reveal it to us, Father? Lord, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. So I pray for our church today, Lord. I pray that you would embolden us, starting today as we walk out these doors, to be looking for those opportunities to swing the hammer and point people to you, Lord. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for equipping us. And we give you praise, Lord Jesus. So today, if you haven't decided to let Jesus be your ark, to be your salvation, I encourage you to come up and let's pray. Don't walk out today and miss it because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. So guys, have a great day. Go swing your hammers, and we'll see you next week. Amen.